Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Tyler Cobble. I'm your host here as we dive into the world of commercial real estate. And I've missed you guys. It's been it's been a long few weeks uh, not going live, not having these interviews, uh, because it's been crazy around here. We actually just closed on US 41 yesterday. Um, so obviously, we've been focused on that capital raise and uh, ready to get that project uh, out there and rolling. Really excited about that. Um, Speaking of capital raise, today we're going to be diving into crushing your first capital raise with Dave Dubow. Uh, really excited about this conversation because I get asked by you guys all the time, how do you raise money from investors? How do you go about that process? Obviously, I would not be where I am today if I didn't go through that on all of our deals because raising capital from investors allows you to scale faster than you ever could on your own. Let's be real. Money is a finite resource. Uh, Dave has been investing in real estate for years. Uh, he's out in British Columbia, and he teaches you how to go about the capital raising process. So we're going to have a phenomenal conversation with him today about all of that. Dave, that was a, a brief introduction. Tell us about who you are and how you got here. Thanks so much, Tyler. Yep. So up here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada, I've been investing in real estate, geez, one way or the other, since about 2001. Really took a deep dive into it after living overseas for almost 14 years. I uh, actually had a language training company in San Jose, Costa Rica for 10 years. Got married, had kids, the whole bit. And then 2003, decided to pack everything up and move my Costa Rican family back to the frozen hinterlands of Canada. And everybody goes, Debo, what are you, insane? Why, why would you leave tropical paradise and move back to Canada? And Tyler, <laughs> you know, we don't realize what we don't have till we don't have it for a while. So uh, living overseas made me appreciate North America, that's for sure. Costa Rica is great, but we thought Canada would be a better place for, to raise our kids. But I had to pretty much start all over again from scratch. It was like, what the heck am I going to do now? I'd been gone so long, I, I had zero credit. I didn't have bad credit. I had no credit. I wasn't able to sell my business right away in Costa Rica, so I had very little money. And I'd been self-employed for a long time, so it was pretty much unemployable. So then... You know, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? And I, you're kind of too, you're probably way too young to remember these things, but there used to be these things called infomercials. You too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> still have a couple of those that play on the radio here in Nashville, which is funny. Uh, it's like, I mean, I can't believe those actually work. <laughs> hey, I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> I said, little or no money. That's exactly what I got. This sounds like it's right up my alley. So I sent away for this course and way back then it was like, bunch of binders. I think there's a VHS cassette or two in there. And off we went. I, I did 18 deals in 18 months, which sounds wow. kind of impressive until you just look at some of those deals, Tyler. I mean, some of them, some of them were nice, nice single family homes. Most of them were, a lot of them were little crappy little mobile homes and mobile home parks and stuff like that, but got reasonably good at finding motivated sellers and making creative deals work. Um, didn't need to raise any capital for that. And then I, I kind of got off track for a few years as far as active real estate investing goes. And I was working with an up and coming real estate guru up here, kind of Canada's version of Robert Kiyosaki at the time, helped him grow his companies. Um, and then I jumped back in to active real estate investing in about 2010 and doing a, a strategy where I actually needed to actually come up with down payments for properties. We're doing single family homes. By that time, I had some credit, had a few bucks, and I was able to self-finance my first couple of deals. And then 
hit the wall. And of course, that's when the perfect opportunity lands in your lap is exactly when you don't have the money for it, right? <laughs> Every I time. Yeah, exactly. I remember it vividly. I had this great deal. I crunched the numbers. It was a little single family home deal, rent home type deal. It was going to make me 40 grand over a two-year time frame after I paid everybody else out. So that was that was okay. I just the only challenge was I needed 85 grand to close on this property. I didn't have it. So I remember hearing, you know, hey, find the deal and the money will find you. Right? Have you ever heard that expression, Tyler? Find Absolutely. a good deal and the money will find you. Which which I mean, how true do you think that is? <laughs> I don't think it's true at all, man. I'll it's such a lie. It's, it's such a lie. <laughs> I think it's complete BS, at least in my experience, right? Unless you've done a little bit of work ahead of time, then we can make it work. But in, right. in my case, I hadn't done the, the, the pre-work yet. So I had this great deal ready to go. I needed to raise 85 grand. I had two weeks to do it. Didn't know what the hell I was going to do. But I remembered, you know, I... I it wasn't going to fall out of the sky like the secret where you just, you know, hope for it and it will arrive. So I knew I was going to have to do something. So I think that was around the time the Wolf of Wall Street was out in the movies. You remember that? And they made cold calling. They, they made cold calling look like fun. Pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars. So I said, hey, I'll try that. No clue what I was doing. Picked up the phone. Rejection, 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 rejection. And believe it or not, Tyler, I am a sensitive soul. I could not handle that much rejection. My poor, fragile little ego was too too tender for that. So I said, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. So I then I thought, okay, here's another thing I've heard. Go out and turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. Network, schmooze. Try your elevator pitch, your 30-second commercial, whatever you want to, talk, to call it. So I, I said, I'll do that. Went to BNI, Chamber of Commerce, Toastmasters, whoever had a group of people and they'd let me in the door, practice out my 30-second commercial, and basically um, failed miserably at that as well, Tyler. And I, I think it's like, have you ever been at the bar and you've seen that one guy that's just so desperate, he's hitting on everybody and anybody <laughs> that'll listen to him. Yeah, you've, you've probably seen that guy. You know, I was that guy when it came to raising capital. So basically what I did is I, I just, 2020 hindsight, I creeped everybody out. It was just, it was the desperation oozed out of every pore in my body. And I raised absolutely zero capital. So by this time, I'm just about out of time. I got a one week extension on the, on the subject removals. And then I came up with a brilliant idea. I said, you know what? <laughs> if enough people see this deal, it's so good, it's going to sell itself. Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's such a good deal, it'll sell itself if enough eyeballs see it. So I put together a list of a couple of hundred people that I knew. I put together a little one-page PDF overview of this deal. And I sent it out as a Wednesday night, I can still remember. I sent it out to all 200 people. And the next morning I got up and I was so excited, Tyler, because... That was the first thing that showed any signs of life. I got some responses. I was excited until I started reading the responses. Basically, they said, hey, Dave, dude, I haven't heard from you in forever. And here you are. Hit me up for cash for a deal. Take a hike. And long story short, well, kind of, yeah, not that short, but did not raise the capital for that deal. Had to collapse it. Ticked off my tenant buyer. I had to refund them their 15 grand they put up. 
ticked off the seller big time, tied up the property for three weeks. The realtor was ticked off, mortgage broke. Everybody was ticked off. I live in a small town, major egg on my face. Worst thing was, worst thing was, I was such a clod. I was so clumsy about all of this. I really turned off a lot of good prospective investors because I just charged out like the bull in a china shop, Tyler. So after I pouted for a while and the dust settled, I sat back and I said, hey, you know what? I don't want to be in that position again. Uh, so first of all, I got to figure out this whole raising capital thing. I don't want to do it the way I've heard you're supposed to do it. I know a few things about marketing. Why don't I apply marketing to this whole capital raising thing? And why don't I try to figure out a way to get my investor ducks in a row first and then go looking for the deals instead of the other way around? So that's my whole philosophy now. Chicken and the egg, which comes first, the money or the deal? The money comes first because if you've got the capital lined up, as you very well know, now you've got the mojo. Now you've got the confidence to go out and close on properties because you know you've got the capital to back you up. So by hook and by crook, I came up with this thing I call the money partner formula. It worked really well for me and it's worked really well for a lot of other people as well when it comes to getting started with raising capital. I'm not talking about for folks at your level now, Tyler, where you're syndicating deals and you're raising millions and millions and millions of dollars. But this is a really good way to get your first 500,000, maybe a million, maybe 1.5 million raised. Yeah, I think that's great. It's it's funny that you bring up the the money versus deal question. I'm sure you get that all the time. And I, I have thought for the longest time, because when I was growing up in the industry, it was, okay, if I go find the deal, the money will come. Cool. I'll go find the deal. And that was never true. It was never true. I found some screaming deals and was never able to get the money pulled together because I just didn't spend all that time with investors trying to make that happen. I mean, you have to, uh, Bruce Peterson talks about that all the time, the apartment guy. He says, go out, talk to the investors, get some soft commitments first and say, hey, if I found a deal that was a 12% internal rate of return and it was this multifamily and it was this, is that something you'd be interested in? And, you know, then you start building up your database that way so that when you actually find one of those deals, you call them back and you say, hey, you said you'd be interested in this. I found one. Are you ready to invest? So tell, tell us about your five-step formula to investing or, or to raising capital in these deals. Yeah. So the way I suggest people go about doing it is start off by creating a target group of a couple of hundred people that you have a pre-existing relationship with. So who are these folks? Friends, family members, co-workers, business associates, people you know from church, your civic organizations, sporting teams, whatever, right? You know them and they know you. So that's step number one. Let's come up with that, that list of about 200 people. It's not as tough as it, as it sounds. What we do, because this is my business these days, is we actually do this for our clients is we start by exporting all your contacts off your cell phone, get that into an Excel spreadsheet, all your social media contacts, get them into that Excel spreadsheet, your email contacts, etc. Get them all into one place, do a data dump. And then once you've got that, now chances are you probably got a couple of thousand people in there, quickly whittle it down to those 200 people who you actually know. So when you take a look at that list, you see a name and a face pops into your mind. So that's that's the first step. Let's create that list of a couple of hundred people that you have that pre-existing relationship with. And the reason we want to start here 
is because of two reasons. Number one is this is the easiest low-hanging fruit, right? You got to think about this. If you're just getting started with raising capital, you're just getting started with working with investor partners, you're going to have to, you know, they need to know you, like you, and trust you with their money before they're going to invest with you. So who else is going to do that besides somebody that you already know, right? So that's that's reason number one. Uh, it's the, the low-hanging fruit. Reason number two is legalities. Now, I don't claim to be a security specialist or a securities expert, but, you know, my understanding, it's the same in Canada as in the States. It's illegal for us as mom and pop investors to raise capital from the general public unless we're either licensed to do so or unless we've got specific exemptions with the Securities and Exchange Commission or set up certain uh, corporate structures, structures or offering memorandums or things like that, which tend to be a little bit beyond the, the scope of most mom and pop investors when they're just getting started. So uh, an exception there is we can work with accredited investors. Another exception there is we can work with close friends, family members, and business associates. So that's where I'm going to suggest you want to start. Create that list of a couple of hundred people. And then instead of doing what Dum Dum Dave did, which is charging in and just saying, hey, I got deals if you got cash, let's start off on the right foot by breaking the ice with these people first before we start talking business. Because chances are some of these folks haven't heard from you in two, three, four, five years or more. So let's start a conversation outside of real estate first, reconnect with them on a personal level, and then we'll we'll move the conversation towards real estate investing. Does that make sense there, Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So that that's actually what I did at the very first sales job I ever did. I sold Cutco knives. And uh, they're like, all right. My daughter's well, still cut code knives. That's an oh, awesome, really? awesome creative experience. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. it was it was the best sales experience I could have ever gotten because I mean they, uh, you're you're thrown in the fire. It's a hey, you know, pull a list together of potential contacts and start calling them. I mean that's yeah. that's that's what it was, and it was, it was such good training for. Uh, what I ended up doing as a commercial real estate broker and now raising capital. Um, so I think I think that's great advice. So that's kind of first first step. Let's break the ice there. And, and it's really important that you break the ice that you don't just charge in. Once you've done that, you've kind of set the stage for things. Now it's time to get ready to start talking about deals. And I think one of the really step number two of this process is let's make sure we're ready to go with a really good investor slide deck presentation something we can show people either one-on-one at starbucks if you're meeting with them face to face or on zoom if you're meeting with them online something you walk people through pretty simple pretty basic because here's the other thing we need to remember is that most of our non-real estate contacts don't have the faintest clue about real estate investing or the terminology involved right so if we start talking over their heads about IRRs and NOIs and cap rates and, and all of this kind of stuff, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fly over their heads. They're going to get confused. They're going to feel dumb and they're going to shut down. So what we need to remember, what I suggest you want to remember is to keep it Reader's Digest level. What does that mean? Reader's Digest is a magazine written for grownups. However, it's written at a 13-year-old reading level. We want to do the same thing with our investor presentation, keep it pretty high level so that, you know, a non-real estate person can easily understand the gist of what we're doing, right? We want to walk people through this. This is what we're going to show them when they put up their hands and they are looking for more information. So that's step number two 
of this process. Make sure you've got a really good investor slide deck ready to go. Does that make sense there, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, that's great. I, we keep it as high level as we can, too. I mean, look, you're, you're just going to confuse people with internal rates of return. You'd be amazed at how many investors just prefer to see you know, how much how much cash am I giving you? How much cash am I getting back? Um, that's average easy to cash on cash right? return. Yeah, like anybody yeah. gets that, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the internal rate of return, like the problem with IRRs is you cannot calculate it, right? Like most, the 99.9% .9 of people can probably not calculate the internal rate of return unless you're using like a spreadsheet or something. So it doesn't even matter. But um, yeah, I think I think having a great investor presentation makes all the difference in the world. We get compliments all the time on our investor decks because uh, we actually spend a lot of time and effort and money on them because it's a representation of who we are. If it doesn't look sharp, if it doesn't, if it's not clear, you're just confusing the investors. Dave, exactly. we've got a question uh, from the Ortiz Anomaly. What defines raising capital from mom and pop investors? What defines raising capital for mom and pop investors? Well, it, for me, it's just getting started with raising, using other people's money for your deals. And that can look a lot of different ways, Tyler. That can look like, you know, somebody's got a bunch of money saved up or they've got home equity and they access that and they invested in your deals. It could look like they're using their 401k, they're bringing that capital into the deal. It really depends on what you're going to be doing. They could be an equity partner. They could be just getting a fixed return on their money. There's so many different ways that you can structure that. But bottom line is it's using other people's money instead of your own for the typically for the down payment money, the closing costs, the repairs, et cetera. So the non-bank financed portion of the financing. That's what I, I love using other people's money. And uh, I mean, I syndicate the majority of our deals. So the way that I explain it is look at Shark Tank, right? I'm selling you 70% of my company for X amount of money. Um, that's, that's pretty much kind of what it comes down to. And here's how I'm going to use that capital to go do this deal. And here's, here's how we're going to make some money back. Um, the Ortiz Anomaly is asking, when does it become a legal challenge? So I guess at what point do you need to consult an attorney when you're raising capital? Well, I would suggest you consult the attorney right away to make sure that you're doing it properly, right? That you're not crossing the line. But again, again, I don't claim to be a security specialist. I'm just sharing my understanding of things. There are certain groups that the Securities Commission, the Securities Exchange Commission, says we are allowed to raise capital from under certain circumstances. For example, accredited investors. So as you were talking about earlier there, Tyler, these are you know high income, high net worth folks, $250,000 a year income, $1 million net worth, excluding their primary residence, this kind of stuff, right? So if you know a bunch of them, great. If you don't, okay, then to where you go, right? So then the next step is we are allowed, if we do it properly, to raise capital from close friends, family members, and business associates. So that's what I'm talking about here because we definitely don't want to cross the line and get in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission. But again, always a good idea to talk with a attorney that understands this stuff because not only do you have to worry about the Securities and Exchange Commission, but if I understand correctly, each state has its own version as well. So you got to make sure that you're compliant nationally and on your local state level as well. Does that make sense, Tyler? Yeah, and you definitely don't want to mess with the SEC. I mean, that is a that yep. is a governing body that will come after you with a vengeance. Um, yeah. 
Ortiz, what I would say is, I mean, I have an attorney on everything that we do because I, it, there's just too much at risk. There's too much at stake for me to not have a legal opinion. It's worth the money. Um, honestly, I mean, I tell people, if you can't afford to have an attorney review everything in your deal, uh, you know, five to $10,000, maybe less, depending on how big, or maybe more, depending on how big the project is. Um, it, I mean, it's worth it. It could save you the property, honestly. I mean, there, there are so many, it could save you and your family, your home. I mean, it's, it's always worth having that, that opinion. Um, if you're talking about in terms of like, what's a syndication versus what's a few buddies throwing some money in, uh, the my again I, like like Dave's saying I'm not a securities uh, expert but and I would consult an attorney or your CPA but once you start raising capital from somebody that is going to have no responsibility in the project other than contributing capital to the site that is that is really a a security um, let's see Bitcoin Banks is asking what company do you hire to create your professional pitch decks and offering memorandums I've seen options on sites like Fiverr and Upwork etc what do you do Dave well we create this in-house because that's actually what our business is we have a boutique marketing agency we work with mom and pop real estate investors to actually implement this whole process so that's one of the things we do for our clients is create the pitch decks for them uh, practice role play and rehearse them with them so that's that's how we use that's who we use us <laughs> yeah i love that i mean that's that's such a good service to be offering to real estate investors because a lot of real estate investors don't have the time they don't have the knowledge or the expertise to go through and put together the right pitch deck because i mean it is a it's it's a it's an art but it's also a scientific sequence that you want to walk these potential investors through in your deck so you know what Dave is offering there is 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 pretty uh, pretty high quality for what most investors are trying to do. We also do it in house. I've seen people do it on Fiverr. Um, you know, if you're going to create it in house, you could use Canva. I mean, I've got a whole graphics and marketing team in our company, um, but I mean it it can get complicated, and you want to do it right. I mean, think about it. This is the reason that an investor will give you a hundred thousand dollars or not. Is it worth yeah, spending it all, the money on? It all on? boils down to this. This is where the rubber hits the road. How it goes. It's not just presentation's huge, but the whole way that you conduct your investor meetings is huge as well. So what what you do before, during, after the meeting, the actual presentation, the slide deck itself, it all it all definitely ties in. That's for sure. Good questions. You got a very active yeah. group here, Tyler. That's great. Yeah, so I love it. I'll keep two. asking questions. Let's dive into three. Yeah, for sure. So that's step two. Let's have the the slide deck put together. Step number three, this is where we really kick things into gear with the marketing. Constant, consistent communication. So my opinion is that we should be communicating with our contact list of prospective investors about once a week. Once a week is what we're shooting for with different kinds of communications. So I had the pleasure of, of interviewing Tyler a little while ago for my podcast, and we we're on the same page when it comes to this. What we want to make our, our communications is we want to make it edutaining, a little bit educational and hopefully a little bit entertaining. That's what it's all about. Because again, we got to remember the majority of the people on our list of prospective investors are not real estate enthusiasts like you and like myself and like Tyler. They're, they're regular people. They don't want to learn every single little thing that we know about real estate investing. They want to know that we know our stuff 
and they want to kind of get the gist of it in order to make an educated decision as to whether or not it makes sense for them to do it or not. So constant, consistent communication, edutaining marketing once a week with different media. So for example, when we're working with clients, we'll have things set up so that the first week of the month, there's an electronic newsletter coming out from them to all of their investors, their, their investor contact list. So that's the first week of the month. Second week of the month, it'll be a blog post. Third week of the month, it'll be a video log. Fourth week of the month, another blog post. And then the, we'll go after that again the next month, right? Easing, blog, video log, blog. So ding, 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 drip, drip, drip with this edutaining marketing short, not too long, not too data rich, pretty, pretty high level. And then what's really important is that you have a clear call to action with your marketing. Hey, if you'd like to find out more, go ahead, click on the button below, book a call. Let's see if this makes sense for you. So that's the goal of our marketing is not to sell a deal per se. The goal of the marketing is to educate, it's to entertain, it's to create curiosity and bottom line is to get people to put up their hand, self-identify and book a meeting with you. Because I tell you what, if you get somebody coming to you from your marketing, they're gonna to come to you already pre-educated, they're gonna to come to you pre-motivated, predisposed to invest, and perhaps even a little bit pre-qualified because you're probably talking about the scope of the kind of deals that you're doing. You're talking about what, uh, you know, your the amounts are that investors are investing. You're not gonna be talking about returns. You're not gonna be talking about guarantees or anything like that, but you're talking about these kind of things. So again, your investors are gonna be coming to you pre-educated, pre-motivated, and to a certain degree, pre-qualified already. And I tell you what, that conversation, somebody reaching out to you wanting to know more about your deals, is a complete 180 from us chasing after them, trying to convince them to invest in our deals. So I, I imagine, Tyler, that you've seen that over the years. You've, you've done a variety of different sales positions. The difference between you chasing after somebody and somebody approaching you already interested, complete night and day. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's we've we've taken that approach actually with our brokerage, with the property management company, with the development company. We want them to reach out to us and because they, they you know something some piece of marketing or some you know podcast or maybe it's a youtube video or an instagram post got them it piqued their interest got them interested in what we're doing because the the sales approach from that pers i mean it's like a 90 percent closing rate at that point right whereas if you're cold calling it's probably maybe a one percent closing rate so I'll, I'll take that all day the more fishing lines that i can have out there that i just have to reel in the better it is and that's that's exactly what you're saying right right there with that one um, exactly. let's see here. Moses is asking a question. How much equity percent should investors own in a property versus the developer or the sponsor of the deal? Yeah. Good question, Moses. It's all across the board, my friend. It really depends on the size of the deal, how much capital you need to raise, that sort of thing. Typically speaking, I would say if you're doing single family home type deals, um, at least when I was doing single family home type deals, here's what I did. I put in the expertise, I brought the deal to the table, I took care of all of the details. The investor came on board with the capital, and in my case, also with the qualifying for financing. And we split the profits 50-50. Does that make sense? Because I actually brought two thirds of the equation to the table. I brought the team and I brought the deal. The investor brought the capital and the credit. 
we partnered up on that. We shared the, the profits 50-50. Now, on larger scale deals, and Tyler, feel free to jump in here because you've got tons of experience with that, but it, it can tend to be a little bit more towards the investor side because the bigger the type of deals, the, the larger the amount of capital that you're going to be raising, the more equity you're going to have to give to your investors in order for them to get a good return on their money. So, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 percent is what I've seen for larger type deals. And I think, Tyler, you were mentioning about 70 percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, our deals have ranged anywhere from 60 to 80 percent in favor of the investor. Um, I've seen deals that are 50 50. Uh, for what you're doing, I mean that's a that's a great split, and that's such a that's such a great investment for both parties, right? Like I'm going to come out here and I'm going to work to make you all of this money, and I'll get 50% of the profits. The investor gets 50%. They don't even have to find the deal or do anything, right? Like they just they get to sit back. Um, when you get into the bigger ones, the investors tend to want a little bit more. Um, now it gets way more complicated because, you know, especially on the level that you're talking about with, with our deals, like we're talking about, we just closed a $17 million deal for a hotel, you know, on that project, uh, we ended up doing a 60, 40 split with our investors, right? Because it's a hotel, it's going to be a lot more labor intensive on the developers part. Uh, right. But the 60% to the investors is such a great return. It justifies it. And there are a whole lot of other things that you have to take into account too. There's preferred returns and then there's loan guarantee fees, but you as the developer can actually collect a fee as well. So don't look at the equity as your only potential source of income. I mean, I think that we've got six or seven streams of income on every deal that we do. Now we don't feed up, right? Cause like, you don't want to just mm -hmm. feed the hell out of your deal, but right. I do own a commercial real estate brokerage right? So there's leasing commissions, there's sales fees, I do own a property management company. So there's a property management fee. And that's all stuff that we would have to pay to a third party anyway, right? So I just happen to have those two in house, you could take a developer fee, right? I mean, you could take a project management fee, um, you'll take an asset management fee, there's all sorts of different things that you could different ways for you to make money as well. Uh, let's yeah, see. Definitely. Moses is saying these tips here shared here are really helpful and exactly how I do on WhatsApp with over 4,000 contacts. Thanks for the response. Absolutely, nice. Moses. I mean, Dave's crushing it with the content here tonight. So uh, glad you're enjoying the conversation. Awesome. Excellent. Great. Well, Dave. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So that was step number three. Let's kick the marketing into gear. One of the key components that I think you need to have for your marketing is an investor focused website. So this is a website that's really just designed for communicating with your investors. It's your online marketing hub. Everything's going to come from it. Everything's going to bring people back to it so that you can control the conversation. And again, the whole goal of everything we're talking about here with marketing is to get people to click on that big book a call button, right? Because that's what this whole thing is all about is to get you investor meetings. So once you've got the marketing set up, next thing we take a look at is how do we build up your credibility. How do we make you look like a real estate expert and an authority in the eyes of your target group of prospective investors? So here's the good news, you guys. I mean, here I am. I'm on Tyler's show. He's done tons of deals, raised gazillions of dollars, worked with tons of investors, written bestseller book, all this kind of stuff. Here's the good news. You don't need to have all of that to be seen as a credible real estate authority. Does it help? It certainly does. That's why that's why I've written a whole bunch of books and do podcasts and all this kind of stuff. However, here are my suggestions for you 
if you're just getting started out. Start where you're at, okay? Your marketing is going to go a long way to make you look like an expert and an authority, especially if you're constant and consistent about it. You're doing edutaining marketing. That's going to go a long way. Sharp-looking slide deck, sharp-looking uh, website. Here's a couple other tips. When you're speaking with a prospective investor, so you've got a meeting or a Zoom meeting or what have you, dress up. Dress at least business casual. And here's what that's going to do. It's going to give the other person respect, and it's going to get you respect back from them as well. All right? So dress the part. Speak knowledgeably about your investing strategy and the specific market that you're investing in. Be able to explain that again at that Reader's Digest level. Uh, other suggestions, invest a few bucks in some good-looking business cards, some sharp business cards, not the do-it-yourself, print-at-home type. Get some good business cards built up. Invest a few bucks in professional headshots, so the photographs that you got on your slide deck, on your website, that kind of stuff. Make sure they look sharp, not crappy little selfie-type photos. Those are a couple <laughs> of tips. Any chance you have to get interviewed by sharp guys like Tyler and be on somebody else's podcast, that's golden. Make sure that you take advantage of that. Talk about it before you're getting interviewed. Talk, Take a screenshot as you're being interviewed. Talk about it after you get interviewed. Talk about it once it gets released. Put it up on your website. Use all of these things to help boost your credibility. Because here's the good news, you guys. And this is a statistic I don't remember where I heard and take it for what it's worth because we've all heard about statistics, right? But it's this, that 95% of the general population has never invested in a revenue property before. Their own house does not count as a revenue property. So that means that even if you've only got one successful deal under your belt, you're already head and shoulders above all of the non-real estate people that you know, right? So don't feel like you need to have decades of experience and dozens of deals under your belt before you're worthy of raising capital. Even if you've just got one successful deal under your belt, in my opinion, you are ready to start raising capital. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that we have access to all of the equipment and the capabilities that we do in this day and age, right? It's, it's 2021. 20 years ago, in order for Dave and I to do a show like this, going live, we would have to go down to like the, the PBS station and, you know, <laughs> to hang out I'll, with the I'll infomercial guy. It wasn't quite 20 years ago. We were getting together on a phone. I was doing an interview and then we'd have to get it burned on a CD and sent by mail. Oh, my gosh. 2000 people that are part of the membership. That's what we were doing back in the day. That's that's so wild to think about. I was listening to a podcast earlier today on how I built this with Guy Raz, which if y'all don't listen to that show, it's one of my favorite shows. But he was interviewing the guy that founded Audible and just talking about how much technology has changed since they came up with that in the early 90s. Uh, crazy to think about. But yes, take advantage of these opportunities like this. Start a podcast, start a YouTube channel. I mean, maybe those aren't your thing. Maybe you start a Twitter account or you start a TikTok account. Anything that you can do to share your knowledge and just get out there and get in front of investors. I mean, it's all about getting in front of those people and, and educating them and showing them that it can be done. I mean, you guys know, I mean, obviously you're following my YouTube channel. I mean, I feel like 
the majority of the time that I'm talking with potential investors, I'm having to educate them on what syndication is because a lot of people have no idea that you can invest with people like that. So uh, it's it's huge. Um, we Will Prevail is asking, is it all about reputation? I, I think so. It's all about your track record. If you don't have a track record, partner up with another sponsor that does because um, that that's huge. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Well, it's about your reputation with the people that you're talking with, right? So if you don't have a lot of experience in real estate investing, you don't have a huge track record. Again, you only need one deal, in my opinion. But it gets yeah. it does get down to your character and your reputation. If you've been a complete scuzzbag all your life, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody <laughs> to invest yeah. with, right? But if you've been a, a straight shooter, you've been an honest person, you've been reliable, uh, that's, that's going to shine through. If you're a... a pleasant person to deal with that's going to help a lot yeah your reputation is huge the sharks on shark tank talk about this all the time they are investing in the operator or the business owner not the business or the product right because at the end of the day when things hit the fan and stuff goes wrong which happens all the time you get hit in the face it's going to be about how how that team takes those punches and rolls with them and i mean look i I say this all the time a, a good investor or a good sponsorship team can take a bad deal and make it work. A bad team can take a great deal and make it fail. Okay. So it's, it's almost all about the people. Um, let's see, Bitcoin, uh, this is a great question. Could you give a few examples of what you're doing when you're following up with your investors once a week? Are you continually following up with them weekly after the deal? during the rehab and beyond? I mean, yeah. So what's your ongoing investor relationship look like? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So again, the marketing here, here's what, here's what we do with our clients. We, we try to batch things up as much as possible because it's very difficult for most people to do what, what you do, Tyler, which is to have this, just this amazing amount of content coming out all the time. And, and I don't know, my friend, but uh, you know, hats off to you because you, you <laughs> produce a lot of content. But it's a big pain in the ass to do those YouTube videos all the time. Would it's you? A lot of work. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, yeah. So what we do instead is we batch things up, and because we're doing it this way, that we're kind of alternating things, it's easier to do. So, for example, you come up with a bunch of topics for video logs. So, for example, what we might do, let's say you're focusing on multifamily investing. Maybe we'll come up with the top 10 reasons why multifamily investing rocks and everything else sucks. You might not say it quite that way, but that's the you know, top 10 reasons why we love multifamily investing. David Letterman style, number 10. Da, 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 da. But you do one short video log just about number 10. Three, four, five minutes long, that's about the max, with a clear call to action. One of the reasons we love multifamily investing is because it is virtually recession proof. You get into an apartment building deal and when the economy is doing great, everybody needs a place to live. There's all sorts of people coming into the community. They need affordable housing. Where are they gonna rent? They're gonna rent from you with your apartments. Now, on the other hand, the economy tanks, people still need a, a place to live. We're, unfortunately, people are losing their homes. They're downsizing. They need something more affordable. Where are they gonna be able to live? Apartments, that's right. So it's they're good. And the good times, they're good in the bad times. That's one of the reasons our investor partners and ourselves love apartment building so much is because they are virtually recession-proof. If you'd like to find out how apartment buildings can be part of your portfolio without having to deal with tenants and toilets, go ahead. 
click on the button below, book a call, let's have a conversation, see if it's a good fit for you. There you go. That was pretty ad-libbed, but hopefully that was okay. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, that's look, that's that's what people need sometimes. Like, what's your script, right? Like, what is the script that you're using to approach investors? What's the script that you're using on the call? And uh, I mean, that's how I got started when I was in sales. I started with a script. I used it about one time. and I was like, you know what? I'm comfortable enough riffing off of this that I'll use this as a skeleton and I'll take it from there. So, so Bitcoin, hopefully that helps you out, man, um, with a little. Yeah, so batch, um, yeah. batch it up. Come up with a bunch of topics, chunk them down, include two or three little bullet points for each one. Anytime you can use an actual example from your experience, your life experience, that is golden. And then do a whole bunch all at once, crank them out, and then set them and forget them. Then you don't have to worry about it for another six, eight, ten months, at least when it comes to those video type things. When it comes to the, the, the monthly electronic newsletter, well, that's a little bit more up to date. So you want to have pictures of actual properties you're working on, walk, properties that you've walked through or analyzed, deals that you've, that you've got on the go, you know, these kind of things. The more pictures that you can have of you in action, the more believable it is and the more people are going to see you as a serious real estate entrepreneur. Yeah. And Bitcoin, it also depends, too, on the type of project, how long the project is. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is ground up development or it's heavy value ads. So what we'll do is we'll have quarterly updates, right? Mm -hmm. Because in 30 days, not a lot might happen, but over 90 days, some a lot will happen. And so we'll send that out with financial updates so that investors know what's going on. I mean, if you're doing a six week rehab on on a residential home, you might want to update your investors every week or every two weeks because it's a, it's a little bit different. You're going to have a lot going on. You know, hey, we just got it painted. Hey, we just finished the floor. What you know, whatever that looks like. So, um, and and I would tell your investors too, like, hey, by the way, this is how we provide our updates, and you know, please try and 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 save any questions that you may have for those updates because maybe that will answer them. That way you don't get overloaded with calls from investors or you have a nosy investor that's just always like, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Because, you know, and feel okay. It's it, you, it is okay for you to tell them, Hey, I'm trying to make you money and focus on making you money. Please. You know, if we can talk about this every two weeks instead of every day, that would help us out quite a bit. It's okay to have those conversations with your investors and they get it. Yeah. Good points. It's setting, setting those expectations up front. Uh, it depends on the length. Like you said, the length of the deal, so for longer term deals, one recommendation I have is first year, have your investor reporting quarterly, uh, have investor meetings quarterly, because you know this is kind of their first kick of the can with you. They're gonna be a little bit nervous. They're gonna need more hold hand, hand holding. Let them know they can reach out to you anytime they want. And then wean them off of that into perhaps once every six months, right? Because <laughs> I don't know about you, Tyler, but I, I found that once they feel comfortable with you, they, you know, unless there's something going wrong or something going real right, they really don't want to hear about you. As long as those, as long as those payments are showing up in their bank account, um, they're they're good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And look, I mean, we've got a newsletter that goes out. You know, I mean, I'd have to look once a month, maybe. Um, I've got Instagram posts and stories where I'm sharing behind the scenes on projects. A lot of my investors follow me on Instagram because they know that I'm going to be sharing like. 
hey, we're in a design meeting today. Check out what we're, we're designing for the project. Or, hey, demo just happened today. Look at what we found in the ceilings. I mean, I enjoy sharing all of that stuff because, one, my followers love it. But, two, it's also a great way for investors to get updated without having to call me all the time. Um, yeah, so smart. that's fun. Oh, here's, here's a relevant question to that. Um, Daniel's asking, are there any books that you recommend for investor relations for, like, maybe training your staff? Well, that'd be a good question for you, my friend. Any anything that you've given for your staff there, Tyler? I I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head either. I mean, honestly, all of my investor relations ability has come from my sales background, right? It's it's, you know, talking to people and taking care of them and hearing what their actual needs are. And honestly, I mean the the best thing that you can do for investor relations is in that second word, have a relationship, build a relationship, be intentional about creating a relationship with your investors, because that's what it's about. They need to, they need to know you, they need to feel comfortable with you and, and do it in times when you're not asking for money too, right? Like take them out for dinner, stuff like that. That way, when you do ask for money, it doesn't seem like that's the only thing you ever do. Good points. Awesome. Good Dave, points. what was the, I think we're on the final point, right? Uh, what's point number Four, I believe four. we'll wrap up quickly here. Point number cool. four. No, we did. Yeah, we talked about that being seen as a as a credible authority. Point number yeah. five is starting the snowball effect. So once you've got even one or two investors on board, it's a lot easier to get more of them because if you're doing a good job with your existing investors, with a little bit of encouragement, it's pretty easy to get testimonials and warm introductions to their friends and their family members, because these people tend to know other people with money. So some tips on that are anytime you've got happy news for your investor, you're meeting with them, perhaps on your quarterly uh, meetings, or you're getting together on Zoom, you're walking through things, you've sent them a cash flow check, you've sent them a disbursement, they're in a good mood, that's a good time to be getting video testimonials and warm introductions to their friends. So that's step number five of the five-step process, start the snowball effect. That's it. I mean, once you get that momentum, keep the momentum going. Even if you don't have projects, even if you're not raising capital, at least- That's, that's when it's most important to keep yeah, going. <laughs> that's when it's get most important. Get in a row. Get, that, get those expressions of interest, letters of intent. That's, that's my whole goal, Tyler, is to get a bunch of investors lined up, ready to go in the wings, not even, a little bit more than soft commitments. It's pretty, still pretty soft. But if you get somebody to sign off on an expression of interest or letter of intent, it's not legally binding. But I tell you what, if they have signed off, if they've got their John Hancock on there, they are much, much, much more likely to actually invest with you when the deal becomes available. So anytime you can get that, that's golden. Yep. I think that's so true. Well, Dave, this has been a great conversation, man. I uh, think you dropped a lot of nuggets out there for our listeners. If they are interested in getting uh, any of your services, I mean, maybe they need a pitch deck created or maybe they, they need coaching or advice or anything like that. How can they find you? Well, thanks very much, Tyler. So my process is called the Money Partner Formula. The website is called moneypartnerformula.com, moneypartnerformula.com. There you can get a free copy of my book, again, called Money Partner Formula. In exchange for your name and your email address, that'll get you into our environment. If you want to book a one-on-one call with me to talk about our services, you can click on the book a demo, book a call, 
if you want to join us for a full day intensive workshop where we take a deep dive and I show you exactly how to do all of this stuff, you can find out about that as well. And that's all at moneypartnerformula.com. Dave, that's wonderful. Thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you to everybody that jumped in the live chat and uh, asking your questions. Those were excellent. Really glad that we were able to get those answered for everybody. If you are listening on the podcast, please leave us a rating and review. That helps us continue to get this out to everyone and, well, not everyone, at least people who are interested in commercial real estate. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. And we will be back here next week with a conversation with, I think it's Nathan Weinberg and Steve Maybe, a couple of my buddies that are developers here in Nashville, diving into neighborhood development. So don't forget to join us next Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. We will see you all there.